Hello and welcome to the Zennial Dome. My name is Gareth Gwynn. And I'm Essel Sears. And this is the podcast for those born between 1977 and 1985. And as you can probably tell, we're outside again. <laughs> it's always nice doing these outdoors. It is actually. nice, yeah. We are coming to you live from Merthyr Retail Park in Merthyr Tidville. It's not because there's a festival or anything, it's literally because <laughs> it was quite a convenient place for us to meet and do this. Equidistance, So we've, yeah. we've met in a what is effectively a shopping centre, which, for a podcast that often ends up being about people's teenage years, is quite a teenage thing to do. Yeah, hanging outside a shop. Meeting in a shopping yeah. centre, yeah. Not actually going into any of no, the shops. No, God, no. Just sort of hanging around outside, yeah. causing a nuisance. Getting a slush puppy, maybe? We could get a slush puppy. <laughs> Can you get one of them in any of these I'm shops? sure we could. There's I'm sure Boots will do it. There's Boots, there's Curries, there's a Matalan. <laughs> Don't know why I'm naming them, they're not sponsoring us. Because <laughs> when, I, when I was a teenager, and I was really into ponies, um, still am, for the record, <laughs> I used to read this series of books called The Saddle Club. Yeah. So while we were in the UK hanging outside shops in the 90s, I was very aware that in America they had malls. Yeah. And the girls in the pony club, when they weren't down the stables mucking out, they'd go to the mall. And I could never really get a sense of what a mall was. Oh, yeah, I see. Like Because they'd go there for like milkshakes and stuff, but I, I or a float. Yeah. And I, I just couldn't understand what that was. And I'm guessing the retail park in Merthyr is like the closest we'll ever get to the mall. That feels like two very different locations for <laughs> lots. Because <laughs> the mall does sound quite trendy and cool. And it mucking does. out stable sounds horrific. But in America, it's all cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, talking of America... Our guest this week, we spoke to. He was in America where we spoke to him. Not in a mall. Not in a mall, no. He was, um, <laughs> I bet he's been in one. Oh, he's definitely we been in one. We should have asked him about the mall, damn it. <laughs> so, our guest today is the absolutely fantastic director, Rhys Thomas, who was responsible for Hawkeye, the Marvel series. Uh, he directed that. He directed John Mulaney in the Sack Lunch Bunch. Documentary now. He's worked on Saturday Night Live. Absolutely loads of stuff. He's absolutely brilliant. This is 1979. And Hawkeye's Reese Thomas. I, I've always been really bad at these generational naming conventions. Anyway, I don't. I, you know, I sort of obviously know the the term millennial uh, more as a derogatory term than anything else. Uh, <laughs> and uh, when I, you know, discovered this podcast, it was kind of nice to sort of suddenly identify what tribe I might belong to. Because uh, yeah, I, I thought we would. I, I liked to think of it as myself as generationally agnostic. Um, you know, so, yeah. I love that. Term. No one's ever referred to it as that. No. Before. <laughs> yeah. So nineteen seventy nine does make you a, a very zenial because you are almost in the middle of the zenial bracket. So apparently, um, so I'd be interested to see what resonates with you. Were you ever on TV as a kid, and if so, what on? I was. I was. I was in. Uh, I was an extra in Publicum a few times. Uh, <gasps> yes. Wow, the big time. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it really. It did feel like the big time. That was the. That yeah. Was the, that was the show around town. Uh, <gasps> and yeah, because I went to the Welsh school, uh, they they would sometimes pull uh, from our school, and there were there were a few other Welsh language shows that did pull kids from our school. There was. I remember there was an historical. Uh, there was some some sort of uh, true story, sort of historical recreation thing that I didn't get pulled for, but was incredibly jealous of because the kids that went, they got to dress in period costumes. And, oh. I, and, I, and my memory of it is that there was some kind of a mud clod sort of fight 
that they got to uh, do. And, <laughs> and then some other, there was, there were a few, it was funny, like our school, there were a few sort of dalliances with, with television. I think it's just because the Welsh language pool was small. Mm. So, mm. Um, so I, I do. And yeah, I didn't, it's funny. I didn't get only uh, publicum was the sort of one I did get finally asked to go do, but there were some other cooler ones where they got to wear costumes and get their hair done and stuff. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I just, I was like, I, I think I was just like a, one of a gang of kids that lived in a village um, once in a while. <laughs> so, yeah. It, yeah. It is true, though, this fact that if you speak Welsh, I think, by the by the age of 18, you will have been on TV at least five times. <laughs> right. I, I remember moving to London and I started, in, you know, widening my pool of friends and I had English friends. And I remember one of them talking really excitedly about the fact that they were, they been on tv that day with work or something i was like yeah. please <laughs> come back to me when you've been on hand <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah i was actually on um i i, I then i then actually the so the extra thing was fun and then my mum, you know I, and then when i was about sort of 12 or 13 i was had expressed an interest in acting i was on glen haverin and i was in oh, a co- wow. i was in a coma on glen haverin for quite a number of episodes uh i i <laughs> I, apparently the backstory the backstory which they didn't shoot but they told me about was that I had collapsed playing crazy golf uh, and, oh god that's embarrassing yeah yeah and uh, and was in and, and it was food poisoning apparently salmonella uh, but it rendered it had put me into a coma and um, and yeah they, we, we, you know we shot for a day but I think they kept they would cut back to me in my coma for quite a few episodes sort of over the whole season and I and then I finally <laughs> I finally died. Like I, I, I flatlined by the oh, end of it. No. I think. Um, yeah, my grandfather, my my real life grandfather, actually, because he was my my little chaperone that day. He, he was he was also in the scene as as my grandfather. And um, I remember when the, the first scene, he sort of, they brought him in to see my prostrate body, and I'm supposed to keep my eyes closed and, and act like I'm in a coma. And he comes in and stand next to me, and he's like, "You're right, Reese. How's it going? You having fun?" <laughs> And we, were, and we were fully rolling. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. When I first started working for the BBC, I went down to the canteen and my Welsh teacher was sitting there. And next to her was her son, who would have been about 12 at the time. And he was covered yeah. in bandages with like something in his arm. And I saw him, yeah. hello, and I saw this and she went, oh, he's in a coma in Publicum. It was so clearly <laughs> this. <laughs> So there, there was an era. There was an era of, of children in comas on on Welsh uh, television. It was probably something. Yeah. Yeah. It's a rite of passage. <laughs> I'm already starting to see the link between your childhood and what you do now. Already, the dots are being joined. <laughs> I think. Oh yeah, yeah. It's quite. It's quite the leap, though, from a coma. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, if you start, if you start at the very bottom, then the only way is up. <laughs> Um, oh, what incredible. was the worst car your family had growing up? Oh, that's a good one. Um, we we had a Mini Metro. We had a brown Mini Metro. Um, that's. I mean, I remember distinctly not having seatbelts, and like I remember when we got seatbelts in the back seat it was a pretty yeah. big deal. Uh, like it felt like we finally had like a, a modern car. Um, <laughs> so, but my mum had a brown Mini Metro. That I think that was my mum's first independent car you know we, we'd had a shared family car up until then and then she got the mini metro thing we got secondhand and it was her pride and joy for a while and then i, I do remember the, the day she sold it 
which was a big deal. She sold it to someone, I think on our estate uh, somewhere. And uh, like literally that afternoon, we were coming home and we passed it and it was a wreck. <laughs> like they, it, it, we'd sold. <laughs> oh no! It, it was just, it had been tin canned by, by you know, like a lorry or something. Oh and, my God. Uh, yeah. So it was a real, really definitive end to that car. <gasps> This has reminded me of something, actually. I, I don't know if this is a my family thing or if it's a Welsh thing or a generational thing. But <laughs> whenever my parents used to sell a car um, when we were younger, my mum would take photographs of it yeah. and put them in an album. <laughs> yeah. So in and amongst like photographs of us in school and sports day and stuff, there'll be photographs of the cars that we've sold from the front and the back. And yep. then a couple of gravestones would be in there. So, <laughs> so, like, so gravestones, old cars, nativities. Yeah. Is, is that a thing? I don't recall gravestones. <laughs> but uh the car thing for sure because i felt that the car was part of your identity i mean it was really it really did speak to your i mean at least that was the way it felt Mm. you know Mm. on my street it's sort of it was definitely an extension of who you are a statement of of sort of who you were and there was obviously the families that had the really fancy you know always had the brand new car um i remember being fascinated with with number plates you know that when you know it's funny because in america you can't really tell the age of a car from a number plate when when you so when the when the new number plates came out and you know, and you started seeing that for the first time on the road. Yeah, that was. Yeah, you'd be like, "Oh, they've got some money." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, look. It's an X. I saw an X today. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it, and it is funny. The car, as I, I was remembered today that there was once. Well, as a family, we were invited to a wedding, and my mum went. And before this wedding, we are getting a new car because my mum did not want. <laughs> The, the the Ford Escort that had gone pink in the sun over many years. It was sort of a red colour, but had somehow lost its red colour. And, like, and, and also in the, in the neath sunlight. Yeah, in the neath like, sunlight. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That, cumulatively, not many days. No, no. So, um, I, yeah, you are right. The car is a status symbol plonked outside the house. Did you subscribe to any comics or magazines when you were younger? Oh, yeah, subscriptions. I don't know if I subscribe. We had a news agents that we would go to pretty regularly. Uh, like it was our video shop slash news agents. And so, and there, there was an era where I think we rented videos every day. Uh, and, <laughs> and so I knew, I knew those magazine shelves like the back of my hand. And uh, so, yeah, you'd go through little phases. Like I remember obviously Dandy and Bino uh, sort of early on, but then I, I do remember you know, then there was the, uh, there was one historical one, you know, the ones where you got the, they came in the plastic wrapper and they would have some free, you know, thing that you would build over a series of yeah. issues and you get like a part. There was one yeah. called Eyewitness that was a history one. I remember that one. That had a cassette. Yeah. And I didn't, I don't think I ever read them. It was just about <laughs> collecting the thing and seeing if you yeah. could build it. And it, inevitably you'd miss an issue for some stupid reason. And, um, and then, you know, forget about yes. it. I, went, I, I got into snowboarding just through magazines. Never snowboarded once, but <laughs> but I knew everything there was to know about snowboards, the branding, the boots, all the gear. I knew, I knew, I, like I, 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 and I felt really proud. I'd go, you know, I'd go pick up the magazine off the shelf, buy it, and and I, you know, they, yeah, they think I'm a snowboarder. I don't know why, but I'm finding this incredibly sad. <laughs> it's all about finding an identity when you're younger. Sure. And, uh, you know, that was, that was one. I felt, like, I felt like no one had taken that identity in town, yeah. so it felt pretty safe territory. To, you know. And slowly building a snowboard over 400 weeks or something. Piece by, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Piece yeah. by time. Yeah. Yeah. And I am quite intrigued because you said oh. you were renting from the 
news agent that was also a video shop. So what would have been what would have been on the video menu then? <laughs> I'm sure I'm not the first person to sort of lament the death of the video shop because it really was like I mean, genuinely, I could tell you. I knew the layout of that whole shop. I knew, I knew where every <laughs> single box. You know, like what? Well, just there were some boxes that never moved, and you see those were your mark markers around the shop. And and my dream was to work at that video shop. Like that was the ultimate mm. to me. And I, I did eventually when I was like fifteen. Uh, I got a job there, wow. and, and immediately it, it was immediately demystified. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> They, I remember I used to, you know, I don't know if you ever did this as well, but they, you know, they had like a really shitty window display of posters or whatever was coming out that they get sent. And I don't, you know, and the whole thing was that you'd earmark a poster, you know, you'd come in and put your name down and say, you know, how, how can I get that one? And and it was very exciting if if you were the one. Mm. And what I discovered was not many people were doing that, <laughs> but so it wasn't that hard. <laughs> I remember going to a friend's house, yeah, and seeing that he'd done it, but that he had an X Files video thing. And yeah. like, where have you got? this from he's like well, you just ask for it it blew yeah. my mind oh, I, had, I had loads Did of you? them yeah yeah no it, well i would monitor it too because the second you saw that they'd taken it down finally you know that that was the thing i was like all right today's the day <laughs> and you know you'd go in and expectantly yeah do you still have them somewhere no my <laughs> there's a whole other story my mom pretty much wiped out my entire childhood room uh, <laughs> when i was in oh, university no. <laughs> random posters too like <laughs> you know i feel like Again, I was probably, you know, 11 and, you know, just had sort of, you know, I don't know, like body double or something, so, you know, like sort of those mm. weird, like late 80s sexual thrillers. Uh, I had those posters yeah, on my yeah. wall just because that's what I, it was a cool poster. Yeah. Do you feel like, you know, going back to that sort of identity thing, I do feel like there was a, that was a thing, like that you felt like you had to align yourself with something that, you know, like everybody seemed to have a thing, whether it was, you know, again, football mm. or whatever. And and so, again, I do think that was part of what I discovered was that we were allowed to watch, I think, more films than uh, some of my friends. And and so, yes. And then when I discovered the poster, it was all those little things that added up to like, OK, I think this is my thing. I'm going to become an I'm going to know. <laughs> I'm going to know about these things. So I used to pride myself on, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd learn the actors' names and, you know, and I'd, I'd be the annoying one who who would be kind of, you know, teeing up what's about to happen in the film <laughs> because I'd already seen it you know, five times. <laughs> well, with that in mind then, what was the first film that you saw at the cinema? Do you remember? Oh, at the cinema. I, actually, that is funny. I don't have my first memory, I, you know, because I feel like I've sort of reinvented it in my head. Um <laughs> Like in my, you know, like in my brain, I feel like I saw E.T. in the cinema, but I'm not old enough mm. for that to register. Mm. But I mean, who knows, though? It could have been re-released. I don't know. But um, films like that, definitely those sort of Spielberg films, I remember being incredibly exciting. Uh, you know, the Indiana Jones movies and um, uh, and obviously I feel like Return of the Jedi, I, I, uh, I, that, that I sort of remember being a big thing and sort of all the events around that release. Um, but uh no, I don't. You know, it's funny. It was easy for me to remember. I can remember the first video we, we rented when we got after we got our first okay. video player. Um, we got we got a Betamax. Oh, uh, my my dad. Did you? <laughs> oh yeah, no. My my dad. Some there's a there's a recurring theme. I tell us that my dad would generally opt for the thing that no one else had. <laughs> um, just I don't even know if it was conscious or he just had a, a knack for it, but. But yeah, we got a Betamax player. We'd wanted a video player. It was very exciting. We got it. So now finally we could go to the video shop. It was like, great. We can, you know, it, it, and it was fairly new. I remember the same news agents that I ended up going to sort of the rest of my childhood. 
and they had a Betamax section and it was tiny. Mm. Like that, that was the thing. I didn't know there was a difference. And, and so you so I walked in, looked at all the tapes and, was like, and it was like, no, 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 over here. This, this, just this section. You can't look at that section. And it was just like, you know, you, we, you could be through them within a week or so. But I remember, I think it was, there was a, it was a Spider-Man movie. And I had to look it up to, to remind myself sort of what it was. But uh, it, there was a, there was an American television movie, uh, The Amazing Spider-Man, 1977, I think it was made. Um, that we rented that on videotape, and I, I have a distinct memory of, of of watching that. And and I think the remote, I want to say the remote control had a cable <laughs> attaching it. Probably, to the probably uh, <laughs> as well. <laughs> on the subject of, of Spider Man, actually, because obviously you've now worked on Hawkeye and you've done the the Marvel thing. Were you into superhero stuff as a kid? Was was that because superhero films were quite a different prospect when we were kids. This thing I really was just someone who watched everything and and so I, I think I saw the value in everything. But no, it, it wasn't it wasn't like some lifelong sort of comic book uh dream led me to doing uh Hawkeye which I <laughs> that's probably not the right thing I mean thing I'd be surprised say. if it was cuz I mean cuz I mean th- the 90s was very much it was a lot of Batman and yeah. I, my introduction to that whole comic book thing was Val Kilmer's Batman so I don't know if it's the best way of introducing <laughs> Oh Val Kilmer's Batman to, to, a, yeah. to a franchise yeah so that you know I I, I wouldn't be surprised if that <laughs> didn't inspire you <laughs> <laughs> no, Michael, the Michael Keaton Batman. I remember that was a big, I do remember that was a big deal, that tape, because I had a, my next door neighbor went to, I don't know if you ever had this too, but anyone that went on holiday to America would always come back with tales of having seen films, you know, that weren't going to come out in Britain for yeah. a year or yeah. so, you know, that was always yeah. the thing. It was, it was weird. <laughs> they living in Aberystwyth as well, you're talking two years. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, exactly, which no one here understands that, that that's a thing. But um, so, which is why, as well, sometimes my sense of when I saw something is completely screwed up because you can't look at the release date, it means nothing. Um, but yeah, that I do remember it would be like someone coming back with news from the front, you know, that just like, what do you see? And you go run down the list. And you never knew if it was true or not, if they'd actually seen it, or if they just sort of, it might have been a complete bullshit. Oh, it was a liar's paradise. Um, I remember there was a kid in my class, and he'd gone yeah. to America. And for about four years afterwards, he would be saying, I saw that in America, I saw that in America. And I was like, we're literally, yeah. <laughs> we're no. the other side of puberty now, mate. <laughs> <laughs> A BBC or an ITV Saturday Night Family? Oh, I think we were. We probably flitted, but I want to say we're probably ITV. For some reason, when you asked that question, ITV popped in my head. Good, come no to the dark side, please. Because Gareth, Gareth Gwynn is, B- is BBC through and through, and I, I'm Still trying is. to pull him over to the dark side. <laughs> but but list, list some Saturday night headline so shows. If you were on Team BBC. What, when was Noel's House Party? BBC. BBC. Noel's House Party, oh, Generation Game. Um, that um, uh, You'd have had Casualty thrown in there as the years went on. Right. Big Break <laughs> with Jim Davidson. Oh BBC. shit! I think I was BBC, and then whatever BBC. the national lottery, <laughs> the national lottery's big window or whatever the hell those things were called. <laughs> okay, but on ITV you had Gladiators, yeah, you had Baywatch, yeah, Blind Date, uh, Stars in Your Eyes. Oh uh, yeah, no, we were we had so so we toggled. We were a fifty-fifty family Five. on television. I don't know how we managed it, but uh, we definitely <laughs> did. I did do Baywatch and uh, Gladiators. I was sort of aware, I felt 
I wasn't into them. It felt like more like there was a pressure to watch them. And I, I don't know. I want to say I felt a little bit dirty after watching both each time. Like, I do have a sort of memory of not, not feeling great about it. There was no cultural merit in it. They were definitely the sort of programs our family didn't watch, I was told. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it reminded me, I, 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 don't even, I don't even remember the... Uh, there was a, I think, was it a Neutrogena? There was a shampoo ad where, the, where they showed like full nipple for the first time. Yes. I don't remember what year that was, but it was like I remember it was like there was a certain day of the night, a week where everybody knew this was going to happen, and it was like after nine o'clock, and we all knew, and it was like, and I remember as a family, like we were going to watch. It was like it's no, it's going to be on this commercial break. It's coming, and sure enough, there was a lady taking a shower, and they showed her full boobs, and, and which. Which now again, it's just like it was again. Obviously, as a as a as a a, a, a little a horny little boy, it was really exciting. Uh, but I don't know what the what the avatar, what the merit of it was exactly for for the people at Neutrogena. But um, I mean, they created an yeah. event. It was like an eclipse. <laughs> like yeah, you came yeah. together as a family to watch it. <laughs> Um, so what was the first single you remember buying? I work, again, going back to this video shop, there was a competing video shop down the road that was like the newer, bigger one. And they also sold music. And so I actually got a job there uh, eventually, which was sort of, I felt a little bit like I was betraying my old homestead. But, um, and, and they had vinyl, they sold vinyl singles. And so that sparked this kind of excitement. And we, we'd inherited this old record player from my grandparents. So I do remember buying um my name is prince uh which was uh a pretty fun one on vinyl uh that was that was right when that was when he does that was the video where he had the sort of the chain mail um sort of face covering that's quite a cool one for one of your first records purchases yeah that's that's much cooler than jive bunny (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) which is what i had (laughs) i i did i did have that too but we used to get the now the now tapes for christmas that was like an annual thing getting those double tapes so I always kind of knew that those were coming at the end of the year. So you just kind of wait out for for anything like Jive Bunny. You knew it was going to be on there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I bought oh Slippery When Wet by Bon Jovi. That I'll, I remember uh. buying that cassette at a petrol station with my holiday money on the way back from Cardiff Airport. I think we've been to Spain. I had money left over and we stopped and I saw I could afford this tape. And I just liked the cover of it. Mm. I'd actually completely forgotten about that, about being able to buy tapes at garages. Like I'd because yeah. I remember we used to stop in um, the Little Chef in Bilf Wells on the way down <laughs> to see my grandparents, and they'd have like um, just outside in the little shop, you could buy all kinds of tat, and you could buy like really random like compilation albums and stuff like this. You, so you, yeah. you'd be on a road trip, and you could just buy a cassette. <laughs> Just yeah. feels insane now. <laughs> yeah, I always think that's really capitalising on the people who've really had enough of the radio by that point. It's <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's the, it. May as well be a sign out there that went tired of Chris Evans yet. <laughs> it's just yeah. that that seems yeah. to be what the market yeah. was for those. Or they knew that the Brecon Beacons were coming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you could w- walk out of the garage and go s- straight into the car and get it on. It, that's the thing. It was, that was the fun. Yeah. Like, I, could, yeah. I could take this over. Can't argue with me now. I've got a new tape. Oh, let me play. I missed that. Yeah. Um, well, what was the first gig or concert you went to? Well, I don't know if it counts as a gig or a concert because uh, we didn't pay for it. But um, uh, 
Radio One Roadshow, Barry Island. <laughs> was, oh. Uh, oh my god! <laughs> I, I remember cool. seeing. I saw the Mannix there, uh, and Kylie Minogue. <gasps> you and didn't go west. <gasps> But it was oh, pretty good because I, I didn't, I don't, I definitely didn't know the Mannix then. But they they played "Suicide Is Painless." Oh right, because I was going to ask what sort of era that would have been. When would we we'd be talking? Probably, I don't know. Ninety two is it too late? Ninety two would be. I think the Mannix they'd have done their first their first yeah. album would have been out by then, so they'd have been doing the rounds. What did the Radio One Roadshow look like? Is it when they were doing it basically from the side of a truck almost? Yeah, I think I, I probably again in my brain it was a it was you know a, a really spectacular uh, set with you know like it, it, but I know that it was probably the back of a lorry uh, yeah. with some vinyl <laughs> siding and things. I do remember the rain because I, I I remember people having to mop it off the stage before people came in. And, uh, yeah. Classic. When did you first use or see the internet? Wow. <laughs> It's funny. You should think you'd think this would be a really momentous thing in my head. Probably about seventeen. So I I remember my friends talking about emailing each other, and I didn't have an email, and I didn't know how you got an email. But I remember that was a thing that had started that people that you know you hear little whispers of like, oh, I sent something. But really using it. So my first email wasn't until I was 18 because I went to Brazil for a year when I was 18 um, before I went to university. And so I had to get an email. And so that was my big entrance into it because suddenly I was using it for everything. You know, that that was the way I kept in touch mm. over at home. That, it was a Yahoo address. That was my first real regular use of the internet was once I got to Brazil. So 18. Does that sound, is that late? I don't know. No, I don't think so. <laughs> Because you're two years older than me, and I didn't get an email until I went to university. So, yeah, I would have been like right. 1999 when I got my first email address, and it was a university. Yeah, it's around about address. the same time. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think we had yeah. one for the house. Is my memory when we first got a computer? <laughs> there was like an email address for the house. <laughs> was it like you know how some <laughs> how some couples they'll have both yeah. their names, yeah. <laughs> like Pam and Dave at Yahoo.com. Yeah. <laughs> It did include the village name. Yeah, it was oh, like, yeah, it did, it did have like, yeah, and then like village name and then some numbers. And then, you know, at free server. Or Which is a precursor yeah. for the for the bed and breakfast model. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so do you remember the sort of websites you visited first, like when the internet was new. I mean, I imagine it was how to find your way around Brazil, <laughs> given your situation. <laughs> when I was in Brazil, you know, it was probably like news and things there. Before going to Brazil, definitely remember trying to figure out how you got to pornography, for sure. Because again, those conversations, <laughs> those friends who were emailing things to each other, that was generally sort of where things were heading, like that they'd found something, found some way of doing it. And, and so I do remember sort of, my dad had a little study in our house and you know, it was a sort of, it was far away from the rest of the house, luckily. And uh, so I remember like desperately sort of, hur- you know, trying to get the page to hurry up and load <laughs> while listening out of the door. And, you know, and inevitably, just as it was, just as the image was starting to crystallize and sort of de, de- you know, tangle itself, someone would come and you'd have to quickly shut their thing down. <laughs> when you asked that question again, I was like, oh, first use of the internet. Yeah, definitely that. And then... <laughs> And then downloading music was that, that was definitely like an, an early thing of like, oh, wow, I can, the value of a single song back then of just of the act of just getting a single song that you really liked and being able to actually get it for free felt like such a mm. victory and so cool. 
Um, so I did, I did, I did that as well. That was definitely, uh, I, I basically, it was like all the things, the internet, the freedoms that the internet offered, that was what I wanted to explore. <laughs> was, yeah. Was, that all, was but but that yours stuff. sound really cool. Cause when I, when I first started using the internet, I used to go to my dad's work and get into print off recipes from America. <laughs> <laughs> Like really exotic cheesecakes and stuff from America <laughs> that I never baked, but I just thought, oh my god, I can I can get all these recipes. Now. <laughs> that was my life for the first five years of the internet. Did you mentioning there the idea of downloading music? That was one of those things that in a sort of, when we first had the internet, it was definitely in newspapers and on the radio and on the TV that people were downloading music and that this was going to break the yeah. music industry. And I this probably says a lot about where we lived on the internet connection in mid wales but you we just it took days days oh yeah a a song like a a, a sort of three minutes of green day live in a garage somewhere that was absolutely (laughs) audible once it came through you'd literally have to say to right i remember like right mum and dad you're not going on the phone today (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah no i remember setting it over overnight yeah, you'd yes. set set it to go, and you'd let it overnight, and yeah, it would, and then sometimes it would have hung up in the middle of the night, and yeah. and you're just like, oh, no, exactly, it was a big thing. Because the thing you had to dial in and then wait and stay online, let it happen, yeah. and so yeah, you had to keep people off the phone, keep it all you know stable, and and it was, it was such a huge achievement when you if you actually got a song that was audible and great, it was just like, oh my god, I'm you know, I'm and a master also, of the universe. If if it was the song that was labeled correctly because the number of times you download a song and then you listen to it and go <laughs> yeah that's not that <laughs> <laughs> did um did anyone else's parents switch the internet off at night because mine oh, did probably. well yeah because because it took up the phone line so the yeah exactly so, it was yeah. it was yeah yeah you had to you had to tell everyone okay. like I'm, I'm gonna be on the internet yeah. you know and yeah so, sometimes you'd hear i'd hear my dad pick up the phone and you know be like ah and i also like i associate that era with a white cable just running around the house from the computer (laughs) all the way down the stairs to the phone oh yeah yeah which again why fair play to my parents are putting up with after about three years this just white (laughs) oh i know yeah just getting tangled up every time you went to the kitchen Maybe it's because they thought this isn't going to last. Yeah, <laughs> we'll be rid of this soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can have your fun. When did you yeah. finally get rid of your pay-as-you-go phone? Ooh, probably not until I actually. I, I had a pay-as-you-go all through through university, so I think my first yeah contract phone was when I got to New York. Um, oh after wow! University. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So no, it was pay-as-you-go for a long time. You know, again, it's that sort of era of, of an evolving usage. Because I think I got my first mobile phone for free with my bank account mm-hmm. uh, with the Bank of Ireland. I, I went to I went to university in Dublin. Oh, right. And and so all of the freshmen had the same phone that we all got for free from the Bank of Ireland for opening our first accounts. Um, so you see every you knew exactly whatever, where everyone got them. And uh, it was an Ericsson. It was like this Ericsson, like a black and blue Ericsson phone that was quite sort of like a bit of a brick. And um and then, and then, it, and then, then there was the Nokia's, you know, so the sort of the, the classic. Um, and then I remember text messaging becoming a thing on that phone. That was, 
my, my first phone, people didn't text message. And then I do, I have a distinct memory getting my first text message and discovering like, oh my God, I don't have to phone someone, you know, and, and just <laughs> that, that suddenly that became a thing. And that's when the month, that's when the usage really, that was where you could really deceptively just blow through your, your credits to like 10, because it, it was like 10 pence a, a text message or yeah. something crazy. At least. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember where you were when Diana died? I do. I remember my mum coming in and telling me on a Sunday morning uh, that she died. It was a, it was a very shocking sort of moment. You know, it wasn't like my my family were not sort of monarchists in any way, but it was this kind of real like blow. Like, wait, what? Like that? You know that? No, that doesn't happen. <laughs> you know, yeah. and uh, and then, but then I so I had work experience. I was on work experience that week um, at Radio Wales. And so they set up a answering machine for people to leave messages for dead Diana for some reason, oh, God. Uh, or, or to, to say what they, you know, to, to, to sort of enunciate their feelings towards Diana. And yeah, I had the job of kind of going through it and, you know, sort of t- earmarking anything that was kind of interesting. Mm. Uh, and it was insane. There were some real full on, uh, <laughs> Real long, lengthy, lengthy, uh, tear-filled messages. Um, that yeah, at the time, I remember just thinking, "This is absurd." You didn't know this woman. I mean, yeah, it's mm. it's upsetting. Uh, no one, no one should die that young. But yeah, it was it was an odd experience. So yeah, I have a distinct memory of that that whole that whole moment. That's fascinating, though, that you were part of part of all of this. You were there having to go through all these messages that were meant yeah. to her, <laughs> but you yeah. were having to sift through them just to find something yeah. you could use. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. And how would that... Oh, yeah, of, I work for Radio Wales for many years, so I, I, I deep down, I want to know everything about this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I want to know whose idea it was. I want to know, I want to know the lot. I, I really like struggling to not just go, give me names. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> when once once you've got your your messages that are the most reasonable, because I can imagine some of the stuff was quite, you know, you had to be quite careful what you put on air. Um, where did that sit on the Radio Wales schedule? Was that like what program sort of program did it go out on, or what? I have no, I don't, I, I'm not, I, I'm not being coy. I have no idea what they did with it afterwards um you know i was just i was just rolling from you know it's, it's one of those things where i i I, was, I think it was the head of my sixth form that arranged it here it was an, it was definitely an outside the box work experience that not you know other people had sort of standard ones of going to you know for a week at a solicitors or whatever you know things like that and again at that time he knew i was, I was interested in theater and, and i yeah i'd been doing extra work and stuff and so he was the one who sort of came in and basically, yeah, I think he had like a niece or someone that worked at Radio Wales. And so he sort of offered it to me, which was amazing. And um, and so that's how I ended up there. But so I was the only one uh, on work experience and, and genuinely kind of lost. I just sort of sat, you know, at a table and and then once in a while, someone would come along and say, oh, do you want to, you know, so I, I remember I went on a milk round one morning with someone and, 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 and we just, you know, we just sort of interviewed the milkman. And that was exciting. Though. I got to ride in the milk uh, van and, and record the sound of bottles chinking on doorsteps and things. And, um, and then they and then they let me edit that when I came back, they let me do my own edit. You know, they didn't use my That's edit, but, cool. but it was and it but it was splicing tape. It was, um, you know, mm. that, that it was a. 
that way. But but and I do remember that, then, and I think the answering machine stuff went this way. But they had a, a, a computer system for editing, but it had its own room. Uh, and I and I want to say it had I don't maybe you remember this, but it had a it had a female name. I can't remember what it was. Uh, Sadie. Uh, Sadie, oh yes, God. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was still there when I was there. Yeah. Without hesitation, yeah. Gareth. Oh, I, 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 yeah, I remember Sadie. Because I, I had got used to editing on a laptop and things like that. And then they said, oh, yeah. I was editing a panel game um, for Eddie Wells. And they went, and you'll be editing on Sadie. And I was like, well, what's Sadie? And they went, it's, it's the up the corridor and you went in. And it, it was a computer. But it had its own yeah. wheel that you had to spin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it was a, like a really, it was, again, it felt, I felt like, oh, I guess this is the big time. This is what they do. Um, and I wasn't allowed to touch it. It was sort of like, yeah, this is, you know, <laughs> yeah. this is for the professionals. <laughs> uh, yeah, I also, they, they sent me out one day where I had to go and uh, there was a debate, I think, going on about breastfeeding in public or something, whatever. So they wanted, I had to go out and ask people their opinion on breastfeeding in public on Queen Street in Cardiff. Oh my um, god! How old were you? Which, that's the thing. I, was, I think I was seventeen, so it was just such a not a not appropriate, not appropriate in any way. Oh. <laughs> 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 I, it was it wasn't cool. I mean, again, I was in and out of the They actually this following summer, I got asked back, and they I I was I did one report. I, got, I must have been really shit at it. Um, but they I was the idea was that they were trying out the idea that I was going to be like the sort of summer holidays correspondent uh, like as you know the sort of a kid's perspective on the summer holidays and so and a large part of it was basically or what i what i turned it into was reviewing films uh oh, and so yeah. and basically because i discovered that they would pay for me to go to the cinema which again was really exciting to have a free <laughs> ticket so uh so yeah i did i did one report um that i remember was incredibly confusing experience because you know, I'd, I'd loaded up on on reviewing these films. I think it was Jurassic Park and Mars Attacks. I, th- I, I definitely were two of them. But the, but and I don't remember who the who the host was. But they just refused to ask me any kind of intelligent question about the film. Uh, I, I feel like I remember I remember I remember being asked whether any of the dinosaurs wore hats uh, in the <laughs> film. And it and it, you know it completely it completely stumped me. I, I sort of I, I just, it's probably like an audible pause, <laughs> and then just a, and then a monosyllabic no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's more than it deserved. <laughs> yeah, and all that from where you were when Diana died. I've just realised what the yeah. question was. Yes. I know. Yes. <laughs> um, so what is a young director like in school when you speak to actors they're always like oh when i was in school i was always in plays and drama classes and writers are always oh i was always writing stories coming out like this what's a young director doing when they're in school how's were there signs of what you would do later in life no not at all i i i mean actually again i wanted to be an actor in in school so i was doing theater and and i was i was involved in the sherman theater quite a bit in cardiff and and uh and so i was all about that um basically when i was suddenly around other very competitive actors in university i i realized that that oh i'm not an actor <laughs> uh, <laughs> so so really what you're who you're talking to is basically a, a, a director who was a frustrated actor but no I, I we never had a video camera or anything i became aware of directors 
uh, probably around 16, 17, like, where I really tangibly started noticing what, what they were doing. I remember Boogie Nights was was the thing that opened my eyes when I sort of was like, I, I, I went to see that multiple times because I could see the director's hand in it, like the personality, and it felt it was so fascinating. And that that was kind of the beginning of like, wow. Uh, this is a job. Yeah. It's almost like you go, I get what this is as a role kind of thing. Yeah, you know, it's funny how those things unlock. I, I was fascinated with special effects when I was young. Again, my first... Before the acting thing, I think really I was interested in film. I thought it was really exciting. I had no idea how to get there. Obviously, you know, when you're in South Wales, making films doesn't seem like a reality that uh, happens in your neck of the woods. Even though, you know, things like Pablo Cum or whatever, you get that <laughs> television. You do, I never connect. I never connected Pablo Cum to Hollywood, yeah. for sure, in my brain. <laughs> but special effects was like, that was the first thing that I sort of, again, I, I think I discovered a book at the library about uh, Industrial Light and Magic. Um, who, who did all the visual effects on Star Wars? I, I sort of, found, you know, and, and I that I I sort of remember, you know, taking that out and carrying it around with me, uh, <laughs> just because I felt like, oh my god, I've discovered something, and and I want, and I and I decided I'm going to work in special effects. I would tell people I'd carry this book around with me, um, and so so yeah, it sort of came full circle on on when I was doing Hawkeye because Industrial Light and Magic did a bunch of our visual effects on that. And, uh, I, and I did, you know, I, I did send, when I got word that someone, we got an email one day saying like, Oh, good news. You know, I, I am going to be doing this section of the show, uh, or working on this. And yeah, I, I, I fired off my little story about, <laughs> about carrying that book around, uh, to, 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 to the Marvel execs who I probably yeah. didn't push it, but, but to me, it's I've got in hand guys. I've got a book yeah. from the nineties. I know exactly how it works. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I my journey to directing was a long and slow one. Uh, I, I'm the type of personality that I feel like I, I really need to feel like I understand something uh, before I I you know go and do it. And and so I you know I think I wanted to. I was fascinated by directors and and wanted to do it, but I never thought I could. I didn't think I was worthy of doing it um, for a long time. Like I, I basically I came up as a producer at Saturday Night Live um, in television and. And it was really just because I didn't go to film school. I, I didn't have any practical sort of knowledge of things. And, and so I actually didn't act, actually, actually sort of direct something until the first thing that I directed on Saturday Night Live. That was my first ever, my first ever directing uh, experience wow. was, was for American national television. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no early, no early signs really that I was going to do it. But it's really interesting though, because the way you talk about your approach to the, these things and your work, you sound very cautious about it. But you went to America. <laughs> like for me and Gareth, like growing up, like America was just this faraway land <laughs> that was, you know, yeah. unattainable. And we saw these amazing things there. But you made that leap though. You actually went there and you made a thing yeah. out of it. <laughs> that's that's not cautious. <laughs> no, no, I'm I'm not I'm no, I again I I yeah, I, you know, going to Brazil, that was the thing that kind of unlocked that that sort of gave me the confidence and, and the understanding of, you know, how small the world was, how easy it was just to go somewhere and that you'll meet people and you'll figure it out and you'll, you know, you'll, you'll set up a whole new sort of rhythm of life. Uh, and then, yeah. And then from then on, basically from that point on, I sort of always had this desire to keep moving. And, and so, yeah, I went to Dublin to, to college cause I didn't want to go to the UK. I was like, I've got to go somewhere else. And, and then, yeah, when I finished in Dublin, uh, I didn't want to go back to the UK. I wanted to work in, I knew at that point film and television were definitely something I wanted to do. Went to New York sort of on a whim. I mean, my, my, I met my wife in university and she's like, the reason I was able to go is, is 
she is American by birth. Um, and, uh, so we actually got married and then went to America. Um, but, uh, but yes, no, there's definitely a lot of, a lot of blagging and a lot of faking it, uh, along the way. So, so a lot of throwing caution to the wind for sure. Mm. But, but again, I, I, I need to, I need to psychologically prepare myself. Sort of, <laughs> I, I think the thing, so whatever means I'll take those risks, but I, I need to understand those risks. As a Zenial who has now gone to America, are that what are the differences between the people of the same generation as you in in America? Are there things where you go, oh, think certain things which seems to define us as a generation? Are there any differences, or is there an element of things like the internet and the technology and things probably rolled out similarly? Yeah, no, there's definitely those overlaps. Um, yeah, technology and, and what have you, and, and but but no, it, it, to me, it is actually the pop culture stuff you know television music radio that's that's where the disconnect is obviously i've got a whole different set of references to to friends of mine of, of the same age and and uh, and that's honestly that was the stuff that when my first years in new york that's where you became i became sort of very nostalgic for british comedy and for um you know just just those types of moments because you suddenly sort of suddenly felt kind of untethered <laughs> i think that's why why it became i became sort of so aware of, of of that condensed kind of culture because yeah america it felt a little more rudderless that like you just kind of you know it, it, things are just floating through the air <laughs> uh and you might might see it or not um so and that's what's funny now is like when i when i do you know I, when i when i do sort of talk to a a, a brit of the of a, a similar age it's it's a much easier sort of quicker line into conversation because of those touch points, even though I've lived, because I've lived in the States now actually for longer than I ever lived in the UK, which is a terrifying (laughs) uh, realization. But at the same time, it's, it's funny. It's like, there's still the core of, of, of sort of who you are ultimately. And and you sort of realize sort of how foundational that, that is. And, um, you know, which is why actually, again, coming on, this is like such an interesting thing because I've never, you know, normally, yeah. If if I do talk to anyone, it's, it's sometimes about, you know, it's about sort of, film and TV, whatever you've been doing and basically my American life. Uh, so to actually revisit that sort of part of my life is, is definitely been interesting to think about. Well, I, th- I think we've reached the point where um, we discuss what you've brought into the Zenial Dome. What would you install inside it? Basically the, the mini disc um, was the thing that sort of popped into my head because uh, it's sort of, you know, it was, it was a, I loved it as a format. Um, and it was super cool. The fact that you could re you know, you get sort of CD quality, you could re-record on it and you could edit it. You know, you could actually move tracks around, um, which was something you obviously hadn't been able to do with cassettes, uh, or CDs. And so I was a big into mini discs. And the funny thing is we've had iPods and we've had CDRs and we've had cassette players and we've had, I feel like we're slowly working our way through all the ways you could listen to music. Yeah. So you, you can champion the mini disc here, I think, because it felt like, yeah. it felt like it only had like two weeks in the sun. It felt like it came yes. and then was immediately usurped. But were you into it in quite a big yeah. way then? For a while, you know, like I was saying earlier about my dad and his Betamax. So, <laughs> so my dad was like a sort of, uh, what I realized is he basically had a sort of an internet brain pre-internet in that he, so he he worked in Cardiff in the center and on his lunch times uh, would always go for a walk for his lunch. And during these walks, he would just happen, he would he would, you know, gravitate to a shop and sort of, 
whatever they sold, he would talk to the salespeople, get to know the products, research them. Uh, and so he would kind of load up on useless information about, you know, some, some thing that just taken is, is fancy. And so I think the mini disc sort of came to me that way and that he sort of just, you know, he stopped in Dixon's a few times or something. And, um, and, and I discovered this thing. And so again, I wasn't, I never viewed it as, uh, it was just something, I think I was given it for Christmas when you're like, Oh, he has a mini disc player. And it's like, you know, I sort of seen them a little bit. I didn't know anything about it. And so really I just got to enjoy it in its purity and sort of discovering what it did by myself. Like, Oh my God, I can record, you know, I can build these things. And, and then, yeah. And then I took it with me to university and, and yeah, I have distinct memories of sort of making those discs and, and mixes. And I actually worked as a, as an audiovisual salesman at Brown Thomas in Dublin, which is like the big, so it's sort of like the howls of mm. Dublin. And I do remember, like, I was a I was a hard seller of of mini disc, which again, we maybe had two <laughs> two hi fi's that that had mini disc players in them, and I would champion them till the cows come home. And, and I don't think I sold one. Oh. <laughs> it's really funny because it's one of the one of the tech advancements that I I kind of waited to see how it developed because I, I love new gadgets and stuff but it was the one thing during that era I kind of stood back and thought you know I'm going to see how this is going to play out <laughs> I don't know why <laughs> very reasonable of you <laughs> I love how evangelical you were about it oh yeah what I particularly like about that story though is that you described the department store in Dublin as the howls in Cardiff but I feel like the listeners I'd say Cardiff <laughs> that's like the Selfridges in London and I feel like I could just this yeah, sentence yes. just go on and on and on <laughs> yeah <laughs> with something like mini discs it's interesting that your dad got you onto it was he also into mini discs or did they feel like something that were like your oh no they were mine my, my dad wasn't the thing he didn't really use the things himself he would just sort of take pride in finding out about these things and then uh, yeah, and then it, and then it would just be something that once in a while would come to us. Um, but no, he it's funny. He was not. He's he, my dad's basically a skinflint as a problem. So he he just he, he didn't like spending money. So it was sort of again like Christmas and birthdays, he, it would be very important. You know, like if he he'd hone in on something that felt like okay, this is significant. If I'm going to spend the money, then this is going to be the thing. You know, and and so again, he did open my eyes to sort of some things that yes, were a little outside the box. Um, and, and would sometimes surprise you with, with, you know, pulling a deep cut on something. Um, but it usually meant that I, I had basically the, the, the slightly lesser brand or what everyone else had. Like if everyone else had Nintendo, I definitely, I had this thing, I, I was a, a Sega Master System mm-hmm. person and, and, and went the Sega, you know, uh, route and, you know, the same, everybody had a Game Boy, we had a Game Gear. <laughs> Uh, like there was always like I always had just the, the whatever was the least popular one we would have, and it was because he'd usually he'd usually spoken to some spotty teenager in Curry's or Dixon's or something who'd convinced him that like you yeah, know this one's this you know not many people get this one but I think it's better you know or whatever and he'd take that advice and that's what we'd have. So I was always slightly it did, but again now that I reflect on sort of who I am, uh, I think it sort of set me on this on, on this path to being okay being an outsider it was like oh i'll just it's fine i don't need to be one of the crowd and is there anything from our generation that's maybe passed into history that you'd like to see a resurgence of is there anything where you're like ah i'd like to see that back be it the mini disc or something else Um, no internet no internet oh that's an interesting (laughs) 
you've had enough of the internet. <laughs> well, again, it's you know, so going back to that video shot. I mean, again, I guess the video shot would be something, and and but for that to happen, uh, you know, yeah, we probably have to get rid of the internet. Um, but I do. I think I really do, and it's, it sounds. I feel cliche saying it, but it was. You know, there's something exciting and momentous about going to the shop. You know, knowing that you had like one choice, so you had to make that choice, and and there was a limited amount of time. You see, you know, watch it the next day, or and, and as many times as you could if it was something you were really excited about. Um, you know, that it was just like the, the, all the ritual of doing that. You know, it was the thing we had to get in a car to drive to the video shop. It was a big deal, and we did it every day. And it was, it was you know, there's sometimes my dad had to, he would have to preview the film. You know, he'd preview the film at night after we went to bed to let, let us know whether we could watch it after school uh, the next day. And he definitely got more lax quite quickly, <laughs> and, uh, where he probably just fell asleep and was like, all right, you can just watch that. But yeah, it's the no, idea as well that if, if someone else had taken the film you wanted, you couldn't yeah. watch it. And that's yeah. to try and explain that to someone now. It's just unfathomable. <laughs> no, wait. Yeah, exactly. Patiently waiting, reserving, reserving video, which my dad would never let us reserve videos because I think you had to pay full price if you, they they, they had a, Uh, you could, I think you could rent, you could rent for a pound, I think after a certain time of night, uh, if the video was still available, there was, there was some weird rules where basically it was cheaper if you, you know, if we went in after seven. Uh, like so, they closed at eight, I think. And you went in after seven, you could get it. And it, but if you reserved it, you were a full two pound rental. <laughs> and we, we were, that was a real like special occasion, like you know, yeah, yeah. like maybe like Bra- Braveheart or something. He was he was okay with that. <laughs> Mario or Sonic? Sonic. <laughs> Pulp or suede? Pulp. W.H. Smiths or John Menzies? W.H. Smiths. Delia Smith or Jamie Oliver? Ooh. Uh, Jamie Oliver, but no, I don't know why. Take him or leave him. Michael Keaton as Batman or Val Kilmer as Batman? Oh, definitely Michael Keaton. <laughs> radio Times or TV Times? Oh, I think Radio Times, but again, can't tell you why. <laughs> uh, neighbours or Home and Away? Oh, Neighbours for sure. And finally, the most important of all, All Saints or Eternal? All Saints. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> only, only through familiarity. Yeah, yeah. Only, I think yeah. I only know one Eternal song. But, yeah. <laughs> we, we've had All Saints or Spice Girls, but people just going, "Oh, Spice Girls, obviously." So yeah, I'm exactly. It's, to make this hard. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> Give All Saints a chance. <laughs> yeah. Um, how can people find out what you're up to? I mean, I'm on Instagram and Twitter. I'm not, but I'm not regular enough with them. Uh, but yes, uh, my, I guess my Instagram is probably where I might be more regular. But yeah. I, I've I've I, I have this uh, push pull with self promotion, um, so uh, yeah, try, try to avoid. I try to be aloof about it, um, but no one notices either way, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, you're, we, we can all pretend to be aloof until you've got a podcast promoter. <laughs> that was Reese Thomas. Thank you very much to Reese for coming on the show. It was fantastic to speak to him. And I have been asking questions with my contacts at Radio Wales to find out what happened to those messages. I've searched the archive. I can't find, I can neither find the messages from the answer phone nor Reese's film reviewing career on Radio Wales, both of which I was desperate to find. I'm surprised he's still as put together a man as he is, considering he had to go through that. And also, 
interview people about breastfeeding uh, when he yes. was like 17. <laughs> I, all of this I've tried to find on the Radio Wales archive and I still have it. I'll get to the bottom of it. Yeah. I will absolutely get to the bottom of it. Um, uh, so thank you very much, Therese, for coming on the show. And um, oh, if you can hear noise in the background, by the way, we're still in Merthyr Retail Park. Yeah, we have not moved. Um, and JD Sports, oh, just now, now and again, they're just pounding out some... I don't even know what that is. I can't make it Does out. it make you want to go running? No. No, me neither. Not at all. <laughs> So, if you want to get in touch with the show, you can. You can send us an email to thezennialdome at hotmail.com or you can send us a tweet to the Zennial Dome. And you've got one in front of you there, I can see. I do. I've got a tweet from someone called Bryn who, um, who responds to Tanya Moore's episode, another great episode, um, saying, just caught up with Tanya Moore's episode. And when I was growing up, a sign of people being posh was if they had LucasAid in their fridge when no one was ill. That is such a good observation. It's great, isn't it? It is a good observation. Yeah. Because... Yeah, like you say, back then, it was when you were ill, you had LucasAid, and now it's the sort of thing somebody drinks when they're standing outside JD Sports, <laughs> because they think they're going to go running. Yeah, it was, because it, it was expensive, it was a big glass bottle, yeah. it was big and shiny, and you got it when... I know, so basically, you then had a family who were so healthy, but they're like, but we're still going to drink LucasAid, <laughs> just because we can. Just yeah. preemptively. <laughs> cod liver oil um, that is a great observation thank you very much for that like I say if you want to get in touch the Zenial Dome at hotmail.com or our Instagram as well is at Zenial Dome um, we will be back next week with Anna Jordan she's a playwright but she's also written on Killing Eve and Succession the thing that gets me about this is that we did not ask her a single question about Succession <laughs> For fear of spoilers. <laughs> so, there was one moment, wasn't there, when she nearly referred to something yeah. um, in this current series that's going out and at the moment. And immediately thought better of it. Yeah. <laughs> and we actually, we didn't encourage her either to, no. to get the spoilers. Because, you know why? Because we're Daniels, because we're used to not having spoilers. Because you wouldn't. No. You, you There would be no way of There's knowing no- what was going on in America before it actually came on TV. No, absolutely. <laughs> so you can listen next week to an episode with one of the writers of Succession with absolutely no fear of hearing any spoilers <laughs> of Succession. And that in itself is a reason to listen. <laughs> We're going to be like a sort of hour-long paradise where you don't need to risk someone running in and say, I'm not even going to say, I'm not even going to say as a joke a thing that could happen on Succession. Because <laughs> um, so, it'll just annoy people. So we shall see you next week for that. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.